few weeks ago, I was reading in Forbes magazine. I just, I read all kinds of different things. I'm not sharp enough to pull off a lot of what I do without the help of other people. And so I was reading in Forbes and they had spent the past four years compiling a list that they finally printed. That list is titled Dumb Warning Labels. That's the title of the list. Dumb Warning warning Labels. They have 24 things on it. I'm not going to share all 24 with you. These are just 20 of them. Listen to this. On a Bluetooth device called the Drive and Talk, this label exists. Never operate your speakerphone while driving. Interesting. A nighttime sleeping aid contains this warning. Caution may cause drowsiness. A chainsaw company that shall remain nameless puts a bold sticker on the side of their product complete with a picture that says, Caution, do not hold wrong end of chainsaw. Good tip. A wave runner has this label proudly displayed. Never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level. Vidal Sassoon's hair dryer has this label. Do not use while sleeping. Been a while for me with a hair dryer. It really has, but is sleep drying a big deal now? That one's kind of surprised me. <laughs> On a handheld torch, they've shared this bit of wisdom. Contents may catch fire. A sun shield. That's a product that you place in your windshield when it's hot and the sun's just blaring down. A number of you have those that keeps the, the temperature of the vehicle down. Sunshield <clears throat> has this warning. Do not drive with shield in place. <laughs> Carton of eggs trying to protect those with allergies reads, Carton may contain eggs. We've all seen this one, a sign on the road that reads, Deer Crossing, next eight miles. Forbes magazine is asking if the deer know not to cross outside of that boundary. A letter opener contains this warning. Letter opener is very sharp. Safety goggles recommended. <laughs> Written on the package for a vanishing fabric marker, is, fabric marker is this bit of wisdom. The vanishing marker should not be used for signing checks or any legal documents. A high-speed washing machine carries this handy hint. Do not put any person in washer. <laughs> you know, I might have needed that label when I was in college. We had this young guy named Russell that went to school with us. Russell was broke, just broke. And so every weekend, he needed money to be able to buy food, which meant that we would throw different challenges Russell's way. And on one Friday afternoon, there was a dryer that needed a riding, and we crammed him in there. So maybe, maybe we should have had that. Hilton Head Cocktail Napkins want you to know that you cannot rely on the napkin as a navigational tool. A company producing fox and bobcat urine for hunters cautions that it is not for human consumption. Dremel Tools warns that its products are not to be used as dental drills. Kellogg's Cereal has placed a sticker on the bottom of some bowls, letting everyone know that the bowl itself should always be used under adult supervision. <laughs> That's funny. It really is. Costume Maker is, has deemed it necessary to remind people that if you were to buy their Superman costume and wear it, that it does not enable a person to fly, nor does it provide superhuman powers. Of course, the list would not be complete without the warning from an iron manufacturer to not iron clothes that are still on the body. This is just mind-boggling to me. Scrubbing Bubbles Toilet Brush carries this gem. Do not use for personal hygiene. I can't imagine. And in our overly technical world, Apple's iPod Shuffle holds this up as an example of what too much time plugged in can do to you. They found it necessary to remind people not to eat the iPod. Isn't that bizarre? Do not eat the iPod. 
Why would anybody have to put that on there? Dumb warning labels. Most of us would agree that those are placed there by the manufacturers of these products to save themselves from lawsuits. They're really not trying to intervene in life and keep people from doing ridiculous things. They're just trying to save themselves. Yet, interestingly enough, even by putting those warning labels on there, unless someplace like Forbes magazine does the research on it, most of us will never see them. We just ignore those warnings. We read right past them or we skip right over them. We don't ever let our eyes come to rest on them. We do the exact same thing with the Bible. We really do. There are some great warnings and encouragements in Scripture that if we will let our eyes come to rest on them, they can save us from all kinds of things. They can direct our life. They can direct our steps. And unbelievable things can happen when we apply those warnings. Not to mention our understanding of certain things will be stretched beyond our wildest imagination. Let me show you just five of them this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'll have you turn with me. We'll go through them real fast. I just want you to see these. They're what I might refer to as warning labels in the Bible that we should pay attention to. The first one's found in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Oh, that people would apply this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God's warning label. Pay attention to what's in the Bible. Don't just read it, but meditate on it day and night. Apply it to your life, and you'll be prosperous and successful. Still in the Old Testament, let's go to the book of Malachi. If you have spent much time in church at all, you have heard this passage repeatedly. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. One of my standard questions today when people tell me that they're having financial problems, and really it's, it's my first question, I'll simply look at them and ask them this. Are you tithing? If you aren't, then why are you asking God to fix your problems? And a lot of people are, and they're frustrated that God is not fixing their financial problems. Yet here's the warning label that God gives. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. I'll show you what real blessing looks like. God says, follow this pattern. But a number of people aren't. And they're frustrated. They're, they're struggling. Some of them are drowning in financial difficulties. And God says, here's a, the first step. You can turn this whole thing around by starting right here. Do you realize that is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this? It's really a good label. We're still in the Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. I've been very intrigued the past few weeks. A couple of mainline newspapers have been carrying articles about how to discipline children. They believe that some researchers have come out with some groundbreaking new studies that tell parents that the last thing in the world you should do is spank your children. In an adaptation of that article this past week, Yahoo News ran a headline that said, this practice will cause depression in children. And then they went right into spanking and corporal punishment. All of it in an attempt to teach parents that spanking, disciplining through that method is wrong. Listen to what the Bible says. 29 verse 15. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. 
There are also warning labels in the Bible for people that are right near the end of their rope. They're just hanging on by a thread or by a, a fingernail, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to turn or where to turn. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 gives some help. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, I really want us all to end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you'll turn there, I'll tell you why this one is significant today. For a number of people in our society, the roles of men and women in the, the workforce, in the home, in the church, they're just confused. There are a lot of questions about the role a man should take and the role a woman should take. And, and people have gotten into all kinds of debates and arguments over it, trying to figure it out. In the last 50 or 60 years, those arguments have escalated in huge ways and people have just gone to war with one another rather than opening up the Bible and seeing what the Bible has to say. I want you to see a, a label that God might place on both men and women. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 3. You're going to have to listen fast and hard to catch the meaning of this. The Apostle Paul writes these words. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have all her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering? If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, before we get into this, we have to dispel a couple of ideas. And this is one that's really difficult for people in biblical teaching. But here it is. There are a number of things in the New Testament, particularly, that were cultural issues. Just like this head covering thing. That was a cultural issue, very specifically a cultural issue in the city of Corinth. It was something that that church wrestled with predominantly because a number of ladies would come into church with new hairdos and they would want everybody to comment on their hair. They would want everybody to comment on their makeup and their jewelry. It got so bad that at one point they were actually weaving pieces of gold into their hair and wanting people to see how rich they were and how prominent they were because of the gold strands and gold flakes. So Paul had a unique way of dealing with it. He said, you need to cover your head. And then he went into a whole explanation of it. It was cultural. We still deal with cultural things today, like this. When I was growing up, little boys and girls, when they would go to church on Sunday morning, would always be dressed up. 
little girls would wear dresses and little boys more often than not would have ties on. I hated wearing those ties. Little clip-on ties. I have a neck the size of a tree stump. So wearing a tie is very difficult for me, but I had to do it growing up. And all the other little boys at Westlink Christian Church had ties on and slacks and dress shoes that were two sizes too small because our parents didn't want to buy us new ones and all kinds of different things like that. And these little girls just dressed to the nines. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You grew up the same way I did? That was particularly prevalent in the Midwest. If you were here 10 years ago when Tina and I moved to Libby, you might remember that for the first two years we were here, I wore a tie every Sunday morning. And then all of a sudden it's as if a light bulb went off for me and I realized I was living in Montana and Jesse James and Rick Hunting and I were the only ones that were wearing ties back then. Every once in a while now you'll see a Steve Sharp or you'll see a Howard Rank that has a tie on, but it was Rick and Jesse and I. And finally I was delivered from the bondage of sin or the tie and I have not gone back. And for me to go back, it would be nothing but sin. I would be taken back into bondage. So I have chosen freedom instead. And it's a great thing. Here's another cultural thing that has happened. Tina and I were on a number of airplanes this past week. It used to be that when people would fly, they dressed up. They would wear the, the best they had because it was a great privilege to fly. We saw two ladies in the Phoenix airport, older ladies, that were dressed impeccably before they got onto the plane. Then there were kids running around literally in their pajamas and other kids that I wondered if anybody had seen them before they left the house, particularly some young ladies that had they been my daughter, I'd have said, you're going to go back into your bedroom and rethink that. You are not leaving the house dressed like that. Today, flight attendants would tell you that if you want special perks or privileges when you fly, dress up. The culture has changed dramatically. Here's another interesting cultural thing that we learned that might have more of a biblical application and biblical understanding for you. Tina and Katie are going to come up here and help with this. A year ago, we were in Hawaii, taking our family there. We'd been saving for that trip for a long time. It was just a blast. We were walking downtown on Waikiki Beach one night and just people watching. Anybody like to people watch? That's what we were doing. And there are some Fruit Loops on Waikiki Beach. So we were down watching the Fruit Loops and having a blast with it. This guy stepped out of a booth where he was selling flowers and particularly Hawaiian lays. And he wanted to sell us a lay and we didn't really want one and already had a couple hanging in the, the hotel room so it wasn't necessary for us. So we passed. But the guy was very nice, very generous, very gracious. And he said, then I'd like to give you ladies a flower. And he took Tina first. And he handed her this flower and told her that she was to place it over her left ear. So he put it up in her hair over her left ear and said that when a lady wears a flower over her left ear, it is a sign that her heart has already been spoken for. And over the left ear means that it is close to the heart. She's in a relationship. She's not available. The flower was a way of distinguishing that. Guy was flirting with my wife. And so then he went to my daughter and he placed a, a flower over her right ear. And he told her that in the Hawaiian culture, if a young lady is wearing a flower over her right ear, it means that she is available, free, and approachable. It was a way of, of just announcing that to everybody. I'm getting pretty upset with this guy at this point. And this is what he did. He took that flower. Katie, go ahead and take that flower. And he moved it from her right ear to her left ear. And he said, until a young lady comes to a certain age, she will wear that flower over her left ear because her heart is still taken, are you ready for this, by her father. 
I like that guy a lot. <laughs> a lot. He was flirting with my wife. He was flirting with my daughter. But when he moved that over there, I was like, you're my new best friend. <laughs> Katie's wearing that over her left ear forever. Forever. Because her heart is taken by her father. Thank you very much, ladies. That's a cultural practice. Same thing with this head covering issue. Now, you see, it also has this interesting twist, though, for men. The women were supposed to have their heads covered, but the men, when they came into worship, when they prayed, they were to uncover their heads. There's a reason that that was so significant. For Jewish men, it was exactly the opposite. Jewish men were always to pray with their heads covered. A little tiny round hat called a yarmulke. They were to always have it on anytime they entered the temple, anytime they came to synagogue, anytime they approached the Lord in prayer, their head was to be covered. That was the old covenant. The new covenant says, take your hat off out of respect. Take your hat off. You are in the presence of the Lord. Cultural shifts, cultural changes that were necessary When we read this passage, it's easy for us to skip over it because it seems like some of the warning labels that are in it don't really apply to us. Maybe there's some things a few people need to know, but not us. Yet there is some great teaching in this passage. And if we pay close attention to it, we can find it. Let me show you again. Verse 3. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, if we were going to draw a flowchart out to make that verse make sense to us, maybe you're a visual learner, kind of like I am, and you need some things that will help with that, here's the way it might look. This is just diagramming that verse. We would put God at the top, the line down here to Jesus. Underneath him, we would have man, and then we would come to woman. That's the way that verse would look. Now, I want you to take a close look at that whole diagram so that it makes sense in your mind. It makes sense in your heart. And then I'm going to ask this question. Ladies, how many of you are encouraged by that diagram? No, really, just throw your hand up. There's about four of you. Because as you read that verse and you see the way it comes out, if we were to draw it out, it makes you think, I'm in a position where everybody is in authority over me. I am in a position where man can lord themselves over me and make no mistake about it. There are some men that have done that. They have used this passage and twisted it in such a way as to lord a position over ladies, whether they have a relationship with them or not. They walk around believing that it is their God-given right to order women around. And some of those men, even within relationship, have used this diagram and this passage as a means of abuse. That's really all it is. If the lady doesn't do what I tell her to do, I'm going to make her do what I want to do. And they'll try it, first of all, verbally. Then they'll move into it emotionally. And then they get into the realm of the physical. And they start to to do things that no man ever should. Fellas, I'm going to say this, and, and it's just a sidelight, and hopefully it doesn't apply to any of you in here right now. But if you have ever found yourself believing that you have a God given right to knock the lady around in your life, to slap her, push her, shove her, choke her, lay a hand on her in anger or frustration, you have chosen the way of a coward, and that is not your God-given right. Not at all. 
And ladies, if you are in a relationship like that and you believe that you have to stay there because God told you you have to stay there, you talk to one of our elders or staff members after church and we will help you. We long to help you. There is no reason for that to ever happen and it is a distortion of God's word. Amen? Okay, now we're just going to move on from there. So ladies, as you look at this, you could think to yourselves, this is a, a totally oppressive idea, a totally oppressive concept, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to make my way through it. Well, first and foremost, you have to realize this. The Bible teaches that you were made in the image of God, just like a man was. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man and, and woman, men and women, however you want to say that, totally equal in the eyes of God. Both of us created in the image of God. In the realm of salvation, everything is equal. We are all on the same plane. This is found in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see the equal playing field? In the eyes of the Lord, there are sons, there are daughters. In the, the realm of salvation, we are all saved the same way through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet God gives an order, and this is a divine order in Scripture that is given solely for the purpose of keeping things moving the way God wants it to move. So God says, you're all equal, but here's the way I want it to play out. Here's the order that I want it to follow. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in fact, let's do that you'll see some of the ways that God describes this. And ladies, hopefully, it will become for you a blessing rather than a curse. We're going to look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now listen to that again. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. One more time. Man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. That word glory has caused people all kinds of problems for years and years and years, trying to figure out exactly what it means. And in the, the problems that it has caused, it has brought about some of the distortions that we have already talked about, allowing men to believe that they are just one step above women or two steps above women. And that is not what this verse teaches. God has something else totally in mind. When the, the Bible teaches that men are created in the image of God and they are the glory of God, you have to go back to the book of Genesis to figure out what that glory really means. You have to go back to the very beginning to see what God's design was. So let's do that. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. I hope you're staying with me because this is really good stuff. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Right there, you begin to see, and that happens in Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of the Bible, you begin to see what Paul means when he says that man is the glory of God. Now, here's what it means. God looked at his most precious possession, which was creation. Outside of humanity, creation was his most precious possession. And who did he put in charge of it? Adam. He said, here are all of the animals. Adam, you name them. Here's the garden. You work the land. Outside of the garden, here is everything. You take care of it. You are placed in the position of a steward of my creation. You are placed in the position of caregiver over everything that matters to me. He became the glory of God because he was entrusted with the job of taking care of that which was most precious to God. That's how he became the glory of the Lord. Now, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read, verse 7, that woman is the glory of man. So if you follow the same word study and you follow the exact same concept all the way through, applying the same logic to it, here's what you find out. It is the wise man who looks at the woman that God places in his life and says, I want you to become responsible for that which is most precious to me. I want you to watch over it to take care of it. I entrust it to you. And of course, in natural relationships between men and women, particularly within the confines of marriage, what would that be? You can answer. Children, I want you to take care of my kids. You are the mother of my children. You are my glory. You take care of all of this for me. You are my glory. David might say it this way, the book of Psalms, when he figured all this out. Chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. What is a man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This morning as we were standing in the bedroom, I told my wife, you are my glory and my crown. Thank you for that. Because she is the mother of my children. She is the one that I have said, I, I want you to take care of that which is most precious to me. I want you to watch over them. I want you to, to be the one to help me raise them. I want you to stand with me. You are my glory. Maybe, just maybe, when we understand all of that, in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Proverbs 31 will take on a whole different meaning. There are a number of ladies that have read this passage and thought, who could ever live up to that? 
but understand it in the light of being glory. This is Proverbs 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children, and this is the part I want you to really hear, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. She is the glory of man. She is the glory of man found myself yesterday as I was finishing all of this up thinking my mother was the glory of my dad made in the image of God she was a daughter of the king she was the glory of my dad and I am so excited about that and appreciative of it because of what it means in my life my dad said to her I want to entrust this to you that's a great gift great gift that changes everything David says, when I look at myself and I understand who I am in my entirety, I see myself made a little lower than the angels, and then you crowned me, God, you crowned me with glory and honor. And that came through women in his life. That came through his wife. That came through all of these wonderful, beautiful ladies that had influence in who he was, his glory and his crown. Ladies, don't look at this as a curse. Look at it as God's divine design. And you have a place with the Lord that is very, very, very significant. The only reason God did this was order. That's it. You are made in the image of God. And we, speaking as all of the men in this room, are very grateful for that. I read a story a few weeks ago about a a proposal that left a lady just somewhat shocked. She was just shocked. She'd been dating this guy for a while and, and knew that they were in love and knew that they were headed down the road towards marriage. She was just waiting for the proposal to happen. And like a lot of young ladies, she had pictured in her mind what that was going to look like. It was going to be romantic. It was going to be passionate. It was going to be wonderful. Well, he took her out to dinner one night and while they were sitting around the table, the moment came for him to propose and He looked at her and laid out all of his life's plans. He said, these are my plans. This is what I'm going to accomplish. And then he said, and I would love it if you would help me. Now, you don't have to answer me today. You can get back with me. She didn't answer him. 
She went home, cried all night long. She was pleading with God, God, where was the passion? Where was the romance? Where was everything that I have hoped for and longed for in that proposal? And over the course of the night, she would tell you this. The Lord told her that was a beautiful proposal. Beautiful proposal. Because he said to her, you, you are my glory. And I want you to come alongside me. Because in all of his plans, children were laid out. Purposes were laid out that she would come alongside him with. Now I am sure, she doesn't say this, but I am sure that over the 25 years that they were married, they had been married at that point, they began to tweak some of those plans and, and she began to have a great deal of input in it because that's the way it works and that's the way it should work and that's the way God designed it. But in the beginning he said, I want you to be my glory. She had a great perspective on that. She really did. All of that placed in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and Proverbs 31 and understanding how God designed it to be. Ladies, I celebrate you today. Celebrate you in the Lord because you are created in the image of God just like men are. Thank you so much for all that you do and all of the gifts that God has given you and the way that blesses families, the way it blesses our church, the way it blesses the kingdom of God. That is exactly what you are. You are a glory and a blessing to all of us. Thank you for that. Fellas, if you agree with me, one more time, round of applause. Why don't you stand and pray with us and we're going to sing together. Father in heaven, I am perpetually amazed at the way you order things in life. If we pay attention to it, it just works. It works. Starting with how we pay attention to your words all the way through to how we approach relationships. Thank you for that. Thank you for the value we find in one another. Thank you, Father, for fueling that value through your Son. I'm grateful that as we stand before you, we all stand on a a level playing field. We all stand there as ones that are created in your image for your glory. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that we never fall short. In Jesus' name, amen.